Amen. We are back. Let's go. Vertical, I'm so glad to be back with you. We're so glad that you tuned in. It has been so sweet. The last few days, I've been running on Fountain Mall, 5 p.m., going to campus and praying. And then slowly but surely, people have been trickling back to campus. And it has got me so excited for this day, the first day of school, 824. We've been praying for it. And we are so glad that you are here with us and joining us tonight. For those that are new and even for those that are old, I'm just going to remind you of what what Vertical is. Vertical exists to ignite a passion in college students for Jesus Christ, His church, and His mission around the world. In short, what we want you to know is that Vertical is not a, a, a substitute of the church, it's a supplement. That's the way I always say it. Vertical is a supplement, not a substitute. What we want you to do is be rightly connected to the local church. We want you in church on Sundays. We want you in community groups on Thursdays. But what you're probably wrestling with is, well, where do I find the time to invite people to, to tell them about Jesus? How do we have these, these spiritual conversations about who God is? And that's what we want Vertical to be. We want it to be that front porch where you can bring friends, where you, even as your community group, can gather and bring people that don't know Jesus because you might not necessarily want them there on Thursdays or they might not want to go on Sundays. But Vertical is this place where you can bring people in and you can have these discussions. And at the end of each night, we're even going to have some discussion questions. And I'm going to try to talk shorter or preach shorter if that's even possible. We'll see. But that's the goal is going to be to make these shorter so that we can have discussions because what I always used to say is what the the best part of vertical was always the ride home even when I was a student and I was in your shoes like it was always the ride home when we would wrestle with like man I disagreed with what what he said about that or or what the scripture said man that kind of that kind of made me feel weird I didn't love that or I did love that that was so encouraging that was so challenging that was so convicting we would have these discussions that were so fruitful and we hope that that is what God would continue to do in and through Vertical as he uses you to reach the campus so that God's kingdom could come in Waco and around the world. So we are so glad to be back. I miss you guys. I love this. Hey, what you need to know is that about six months ago, the world changed. I don't know if you remember this, but it's this month called March. Feels like six years ago, but it was only like six months ago. Here's what happened. I'm in England over spring break with students, with my local church, students just like you. And what's happening each and every day as we would wake up, we would get news of all all that was changing in the world. In fact, when I got to England, I went to one of the last sporting events in the history. I went to see Chelsea play Everton thousands of people everywhere in the train station in the tube is what they call it and, and, and all of a sudden midweek Baylor gets canceled or spring break gets extended online classes one thing after the other that was one morning we wake up to that news the next morning we wake up to apparently the borders being closed so all my friends are like are you even going to be able to get back I'm like wait hold up what's happening there's all this that is happening you probably remember this month called March for many of us, or it happened in different seasons and different things. But what was happening each day was we were waking up to something new. And over time, there's been all these new things that in some ways were frustrating or annoying. For example, like we no longer go to sporting events. And it's even new that, that a lot of weddings are just happening in backyards now. School, a lot of classes are hybrid or online or, or some are in person, but they're socially distanced. Masks are obviously new. All these different things. There's a lot of new that's come. 
It wasn't just the new that I was experiencing while I was over there. And what, what started to happen is people started to use this word and this phrase. And the phrase was this, it was new normal. This new normal was this phrase that started to get used and thrown around here and there. And honestly, I absolutely despised the phrase, new normal. Like when people say, it's just the new normal. You just got to get used to it. There is something inside of me that would just burn with fury. It was the craziest thing to see as people would just be like, well, that's just the new normal. I would just get so mad. I was so annoyed by all that was going on. I didn't like this new normal. And so no better place to start the semester than to navigate the new normal together. The first way I want to navigate the new normal together as we turn to the scriptures is by learning how to have faith through fire. That's simply the way that we're going to start this semester is faith through fire as we navigate this new normal together these coming weeks. We're going to answer two questions that you can write down. The first one being this, how do we respond in the crisis? How do we respond to the new normal? How do we respond to a pandemic? How do we respond to all the things that are going to happen throughout this fall? That's the first question we're going to look at. And the second is where the crud is God. If you're anything like me, like these new normals, they don't just make you sad for a few moments. They actually beg the question like, God, what in the world? In fact, I would even tell you today, I had the thought. Some circumstance didn't go my way. And I was like, God, what are you doing? And then I remembered. There's an answer to where God is in this crisis. And we're going to look at this together today. It's even applicable for me today. We're going to look at a crisis that happened long ago in the Old Testament. And what you need to know is that Israel is God's people. The, the Old Testament story is, is very long, but, but very, very amazing. It starts with creation, and then it, it, it we go into God's people and Israel and then we go to the exodus of Israel and then them coming into the promised land and there's all these different stories. The narrative is beautiful. What's happened is the Israelites have at this point gone to the promised land and now they've been kicked out of the promised land. We're at the kind of the end of the periods and it's called the exile. They've been removed from the promised land and they're now being enslaved. And that's the crisis that we find ourselves in, in the text that we're going to be at tonight. And in fact, the king that's enslaving Israel at this point, what he does is he builds this statue. It's like 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, pure gold. And he makes this decree, his, his men make this decree that you have to bow down to this statue. You have to bow down to this statue. If you don't, there's going to be a consequence of death. And so this decree is made and the king brings all the leaders together and he says, bow down to me. And this is one of my favorite passages as a child. Maybe familiar to some of you. It's the story in Daniel 3 of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so if you'll turn there in the scriptures, we're going to jump in to verse 13. Right as the king says, you must bow down. We're going to pick up when they don't bow down. Starting in verse 13, it says this. After they don't bow down, then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar's that king, in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought to him. 
So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that, that you, have, you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, and the music, every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast in the burning, fiery furnace. And who's this God that will deliver you out of my hands? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so... Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What you need to know about this story is that they don't bow down. And then the king gives him another chance. He's like, okay, well, let me just give you one more chance to bow down. When the music plays again, all you got to do is bow down, and then I'll let you go. I'll give you some grace. So the king gives them some grace, and they say, no. You see, our God can deliver us from the furnace. That's what we see in verse 17. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. I love this. They have faith. But I want you to see verse 18. But if not, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods or worship your golden image. What they're saying is, no matter what happens, we have faith. They have faith without presumption. What they're saying is, it doesn't matter, O king, what you do to us. Our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. You see, it's this faith, this trust, this hope with humility. It's the humility that Isaiah has and even speaks of, that God is far above our thoughts. His ways are far above our ways. And so we can trust him. It's faith and trust with humility, not presumption. I love this passage. They say our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. It reminds me of the prosperity gospel that's kind of snuck into this world these days. The prosperity gospel says this, have more faith and you will have more prosperity. We can debunk that very simply, very quickly. If that were true, then why did the most faithful man to ever live suffer and die a gruesome death on a cross? Faith doesn't bring prosperity. We must have faith without presumption in a crisis. How do we respond to a crisis? We have faith without presumption. It's faith with humility. It's hope and trust in God with also open hands. It's, it's expecting without arrogance. It's hopefulness without arrogance. Presumption is expecting with arrogance. It's demanding that God will do this. And of course God's going to do this. And, and it's actually playing God. You see, faith without presumption, is just faith with humility. It's faith with belief, but also trust. You say, we're called to trust in faith, not presume in arrogance. Faith is trusting that even if school gets turned online in the next week or two, that God is still worthy to be trusted. And faith is trusting that even if a football season doesn't happen, 
that God's still worthy to be trusted. And here's my question that you might want to write down, and it's this. Since when is God's character and faithfulness based on our circumstances? When did that happen? Because daily our, our circumstances are changing. And if we always just presume that our plans are what's going to happen, then that could be a letdown. And so again, we must learn how to live open-handed. And the reason why this is so challenging for all of us, why the pandemic, why COVID-19 has been exposing in some ways is, yes, it's exposed the idols. We don't know what to do without sports. We don't know what to do without this, these social uh, gatherings where we can, we can be popular and have all these different things. And we have people show us attention. Yes, it's challenging. We've had some of these things stripped from us. Sure. But another reason why it's actually been helpful, is it's exposed our desire for control. You see, OCD is used for a lot of different reasons, but I, I use it sometimes in the form of obsessive control disorder. Some people are OCD in the sense of control. They have to hold on to absolutely everything. And so many of us have been exposed by the pandemic Here's the reality. We can praise God that our control has been exposed. And we can, in return, learn how to have faith without presumption or faith without having all the control. You see, we as Christ followers are meant to be light in the darkness. And there's different ways that we're light in the darkness. Sure, we don't gossip. Sure, we don't sleep around. Sure, we don't do all these different things. But in reality, one of the best ways that we can be a light in a crisis is to have faith. The best way we can have, we can be a light in a crisis to have faith. And it's not fake optimism. It's not fake joy. It's faith. It's deep trust. It's like an anchor in a storm. Faith is, is like an anchor in the sense that it, it, it holds you steady, but it doesn't get you out of the storm. You still have to weather the storm itself. And here's the reality. It, 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 this faith doesn't mean that we can't mourn. I mean, my team and I, we, we just hit our knees together as we prepared for this. And I, <laughs> I started crying as I was thinking about how things are different. And I, I remember even taking the call from Baylor as they asked us to be virtual at least the first two weeks and maybe even longer because they want to they wanna assess as they go and I respect that decision. And as I hung up though, as much as I respect the decision and will honor Baylor, because we're a student organization, we'll honor Baylor. As much as all that is the case, I hung up, I looked at my friend Chambers and I was like, dang, dude. And we just, I, I teared up thinking about this new normal and how I didn't love it. But God is faithful. But I have faith. There was once a man who I saw exemplified this faith. And his name was Nabil Qureshi. He came to speak at Vertical years ago. And he had converted from Islam to Christianity. And, and, and in fact, just before he came to Vertical, he had been diagnosed with stage 4 stomach cancer. He had been given you know, very little chance to live past 18 months. I think it was like a 4% chance of life. And he had this 
thing where we, we invite him to come to vertical and he gave the greatest example of faith without presumption. And so what I want us to do is I want to I play this clip for you. And it's of Nabil. And he's talking about being healed. And so I want you to see his faith and what God can do. Let's turn our attention to the screen. My parents didn't come to my wedding. After I became a Christian, they didn't want to come to my wedding. And my one dream was to be there for my daughter, to dance at her wedding. I believe I will be there, despite what the doctors say. Because I know my God, and he's a healer, and he does miracles even today. And I believe even if I die, he can still raise me. And if he doesn't raise me right away, he will when it counts most. Any of the issues you're dealing with, I don't know what they are. I'm not saying they're pointless or they're small. I'm not comparing them to what I'm dealing with. You could be dealing with something way worse. Whatever your issue is, it can and will, just as the song we sang, be defeated in Christ because Christ is greater. That is the real truth. Not this truth. The real truth is this world has already been overcome. It's not just something we tell ourselves. It is the truth. And I pray for your sake and for the sake of everyone you ever encounter that your feet are firmly planted on the rock. I remember being in the audience. This is my first year at Vertical when Nabil said, I believe I will be healed. I remember all the Baptists, you know, we're outside at the track and we're like, wait, what? This dude just said he's going to be healed from stage four stomach cancer. And then he's like, even if I die, I'll be resurrected. I believe God can resurrect me. I'm like, oh my gosh, even more uncomfortable. I'm sweating. I'm like the leader. And I'm like, I don't even know if I believe. I don't even know if I have that much faith that God can do that, that God has that power. And then he beautifully shows faith without presumption by saying, hey, if he doesn't resurrect me after I, I die from cancer, then he'll resurrect me on the day that matters. You see, that's faith without presumption. That's belief in God being powerful enough, but not presuming that we know better than God's will. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God can save us from the fiery furnace, but even if he doesn't, we won't bow down. In a crisis, we won't, we won't let up. It's faith without presumption. That's the first thing. That's how we can respond to the crisis. The second thing I want us to see in verses 19 through 26. Let's read these together. Then Nebuchadnezzar is absolutely furious. His face, his, his expression changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more than it was usually heated, which actually, side note, isn't that helpful. If you want to torture somebody, you lower the heat. You don't make it hotter. They'll die quicker if you make it hotter. That's what one commentator said. I thought that was cool. Anyways, verse 20. He ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. So they're fully clothed, thrown into the burning furnace. But the king's order was urgent, and the furnace was overheated, and the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire 
They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men. They're unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. What we see here is that although Nebuchadnezzar was forcing them towards death, was punishing them for not bowing down, we see that they still go to the furnace. It's a very fascinating part of the story that I forget as a child. Is I just kind of remember, oh yeah, they're saved. They're, they're, they live through it. But I, I didn't even realize as a child, and even to this day, that they still go to the furnace. They still go to the fire. And as we think about crisis, we often ask the question, where is God in the crisis? And it brings us to this answer as we read in this story that God doesn't keep us from the fire. He's with us in it. And, and I know that we sing about it, but it's one thing to sing. It's another thing to believe. You see, God allows them to still go to the furnace. He just goes with them. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture of who God is. Because when we think, God, where the crud are you and all that's going on, like how could you allow this to happen? It's a thought we have, not just in pandemics. It's when relationships don't work out. It's when our grades don't turn out to be the way they are. It's when we don't measure up to our parents' expectations. All these different things. We're like, God, how could you let this happen? Whatever this is, God, where are you? I've even thought, God, are you absent? He isn't. And in fact, I even want us to see through some scriptures that maybe he's nearer in trials and sin and hardship than we realize. This passage being a primary passage in that, yes. But there's others in the Bible too. He doesn't keep us from the fire. He's with us in it. We see that he's our advocate in trials, sins, and storms. In trials, we think that God is most absent. But in fact, I think it's the opposite. Let's look at John 15. If you have been around vertical at all, you know John 15 is the chapter of all chapters. We always come back to abiding. It's like the craziest thing. I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite chapters in the world. And, and God is giving us a picture of what we're going to do when Christ leaves. And he says that, that we're the branches. We're just meant to be connected to the vine. But what it also says is that the vine dresser is the father and he prunes the, the branches on the vine, he cuts them so that they could bear more fruit. So when we're in trials, it's, it's a pruning. And what's beautiful about that is, one, he wants us to bear more fruit. The trials are often so that we can bear more fruit on the other side. The other beautiful thing is that if the father is the vine dresser, that means when we are in trials and pruning, that's when he's the nearest. Like he's there. He's a part of the pruning. Even though it doesn't make sense to us, even though it hurts, it's, it's exactly his plans that will bear more fruit in the future. He's near to us in the pruning. 
In addition, consider 1 John 2.1 where the scriptures say, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you might not sin. All that he said is, hey, confess your sin to one another, bring it to the light so that you can be free from that. And then he's saying, I'm writing these things so you can be free from this sin. And then it says, but if you do sin, which you will do and which I will do. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You see, what's funny about sin is when we sin, we have shame. And we feel guilty. We feel like God is, is so distant. We're like, God can't love me. Look at what I've done. All this stuff. That's our tendency of the way that we think of sin. But in reality, when we sin, it says for those that are in Christ, we have an advocate. That means when we sin, Jesus goes to the Father on our behalf. And he's like, hey, I, I saved him by grace through faith. That's how he's saved. But he sinned again, and I just want you to know, he still, has my, he, he still has my righteousness. Even though he sinned, Jesus is saying, hey, my son, my daughter is still clothed in my righteousness. He's absolutely free. He's going to the Father. Why? Because we've been separated from the Father. Sin has separated us from the Father. The only way that we can be restored to the Father is by an advocate in Jesus Christ. First, that's what he did on the cross. Right? That's the good news of the gospel. He advocated so that we could be in right relationship with the Father. But when we sin, we're separated from him again. But we have this advocate who's constantly bringing us back. He's constantly just working on our behalf. He knew we were going to sin. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. That is our advocate. That is Christ Jesus. We think he's the furthest when in reality he's working the most on our behalf sometimes when we're in sin. It's confusing. Grace doesn't make sense to us. Because to us, we have to work for everything. We have to work for God's love. And that's not the reality. We can do nothing to earn God's love. It's all by grace through faith and what Christ has done. That's the only way we're restored to the Father. But we think that this world is about our work and about our circumstances. And we think if we work a little bit more, we can get a little bit closer to the Father. Or if our circumstances are good, that means the Father's pleased with us and that's not the way the world works. We can only be restored by being in right relationship with Christ himself. For those in Christ, he's advocating on our behalf, even in our sin. You see, at the end of the day, this passage and all throughout the Bible, what the Bible is showing us is that God isn't absent. He's rather an advocate. Christ himself is, is not absent. He's an advocate on our behalf on the cross, and he still continues to be an advocate on our behalf today. 1 John 2.1. Just consider this, Emmanuel, God is with us. God is not absent. Every time you think the question, is God absent, remind yourself of the word Emmanuel. It's that word that we use around Christmas time that's the best reminder for us all the time. The best example of the way God works in being with us in trials, sin, sickness, pandemic, all these different things, some of the hardest times. One, obviously, Daniel 3 is a good example. All these different examples we looked at, but really the most beautiful thing that I can think of to illustrate this is when somebody is sick. Here's the deal. When a son is sick, 
the father draws near. And, and what does the father do? The father hates the sickness that's within the son. And for us spiritually, like the best picture of this is the sin that's within us. Like we think the sin that's within us makes God uh, uh, pull away from us, but rather he hates the sin within us, but he's drawing near to us because he's a good father and good fathers go to sick sons. They're drawn to sick sons. And I lived this. My dad, honestly, was absent. My parents were divorced. And when I was in your shoes, I was a student at Baylor. And I remember I, got, I had to get my appendix removed. I went into like kind of emergency surgery because I had appendicitis my junior or senior year. I can't remember. And I'm in Hillcrest Hospital. And I come back from surgery. And I wake up. And I wake up to my mom and my dad in the room. And I remember thinking like, this is miraculous. I don't remember a day where my dad was in the room or had spent the night with us. Like, I, I, I couldn't even imagine it. I was like, I've never seen my mom and my dad spend the night in the same, under the same roof. My dad had been fairly absent, but, but still he is my father. And when I was sick, he ran towards. He drove from Houston to Waco to be in the room when I came to from surgery. You see, God is a far better father than any other father in this world. The, the earthly fathers, the, every good and earthly fathers points to a far greater good in the heavenly father. And so for those that think that crisis and sin are what separate us from the father, or that God is, is, is far from us in those things, for those in Christ, that's not the case. He draws near to us. He wants us to be healed. He wants us to be free from those sicknesses, those sins. He wants to comfort us through pandemics, through fiery furnaces, through all these different things. That's the way God works. He's near to us. For those not in Christ, sin is what has separated us from God. But for those that are in Christ, in sin, God draws near to heal the sickness within us. There's a difference. And so that is who God is in crisis and in highs and lows and valleys and mountaintops. That is who God is. That's his character. And that's even a, a character trait that I had to remind myself of all last semester and even through the summer. That God is with us through the fire. He doesn't keep us from the fire. So how do we apply all of this to our lives? What do we do about this? And, and honestly, the first way is always the answer if you're at vertical. The first way is to abide. John 15, as I mentioned earlier uh, about the anchor, that's the same way we abide. We're anchored in what Christ has done as John 15 says. We're branches. We're connected to the vine. We have to constantly be connected. In order for us to have faith without presumption, we must go to the God who has shown us grace and love and forgiveness through his son Jesus on the cross. Like we have to be reminded of that daily. Why? Because we, like the Israelites, forget. We're human. We're prone to forget. And, and in forgetting, we must remind ourselves of where we find life. Apart from the, the vine, we can do nothing. So apart from Christ, we can't have any faith. And so we need him daily to remind us of why we should even have faith in who God is. And it's in reminding ourselves of what he's done that we can have faith that he will continue to be faithful and that he will continue to be in control. So the first way that we apply this to our lives is by abiding. 
In addition, there's going to be things in life as you, as, you go through your, uh, as you go through school and even into young adulthood, one day you're going to have to stand up when everyone else is bowing down. When everyone else is worshiping something they shouldn't worship, you will have to separate yourself from that. You won't be able to worship that. You'll have to move forward when everyone's sitting back. And I just want to like probably tell you what's going to happen in the next few weeks. What could happen is as everyone goes online, everyone will sit back and complain about how hard life is. And it will be challenging. I don't want to make light of the challenge, the challenges that are ahead of us this semester. But what's reality is that we will have an opportunity to stand up and move forward. As everyone else may sit back and just complain and, and spiral. It's, it's so easy to do that. If you're going with the wind, it will be a lonely fall. But I'm inviting you to live by faith and, and abide in faith and trust in God through all the circumstances. And that's how we can apply this, this text to our lives in all these different ways. And just as Christ is an advocate on our behalf, we can be an advocate for others. And I, I, I would even venture to say it's going to be all the more, it's going to be all the harder as we are, are meant to be distanced from one another. The, this whole summer, there's been racial turmoil. And, and I just want you to know that that's not going to be resolved by sitting back. That's going to be resolved by initiating, by advocating, by listening and some of you are like, oh my gosh, is he about to take the first opportunity to talk about Black Lives Matter? Here's the reality. Black Lives Matter, period. Yes, it's been hijacked by an organization. But more importantly, the sentence still stands true. Maybe more important than that conversation. I'm like, okay, put that to the side. The bigger issue is that in the room that you're in, you're probably surrounded by people that you look like. So let's put to the side the words that we fight over and let's initiate and advocate and have friends that look different from us. And that's going to be challenging in this season when quarantine might happen in the next few weeks. It's going to take work to be an advocate, to love others, to serve others, to listen. And so this year will require more initiative than ever before to live by faith and not, uh, not by sight. It's going to require more initiative than ever before. It's going to require scheduling. It's going to require creativity to allow for distancing. And, and it's going to be, it's going to require a ton of patience and faith in the sense that like every other day we're hearing about how somebody we hung out with got COVID because somebody they hung out with had COVID and all these different things. So-and-so got tested because here's the deal. I get it. I mean, I've been tested like four times. I get it. We're constantly hearing about all these different things. We're constantly changing our plans, constantly pivoting all that's going on. It's going to re require patience and faith and trust and a God that's far greater. It's going to require initiative even through all the circumstances that are going to come to us this fall. I've talked so much. In summary, how do we respond in crisis? We have faith without presumption. Where is God in the crisis? God doesn't keep us from the fire. He's with us in the fire. So he's actually within, with us all throughout the crisis. And here's the reality. I want to close with this. As I mentioned about initiative, and even just one of the easiest things that we can step into this racial uh, discord is just by building relationships, taking the initiative to build relationships, put the all the words maybe to the side. If you don't have a relationship, there's no, there's no, no way that you can learn. 
or even walk into this, but the same is true in this sense. When it comes to initiative, I want to point it out in this way. I heard this story of this book that was written. I don't know exactly when it was written. I think it was revised in about 1992, and it's about the 100 most influential people in the world. And what's crazy about this is, who do you think is number one? I just want you to think to yourself, just, you know, you know who you're thinking about. Okay, here's the reality. I heard this story of this book. I haven't read it myself, but I just heard it. And what, what was said was that Jesus Christ wasn't number one. In fact, there was another religious figure named Muhammad that was number one. And the reasoning behind the author putting Muhammad as number one and not Jesus Christ is because of the followers. The author's argument was that the followers of Muhammad are more faithful than the followers of Jesus Christ. And so although Christ may even be a part of Islam itself, which Christ is, Muhammad in the top 100 influential figures according to this random guy that I heard about. The number one person was Muhammad and not Jesus Christ. And it frustrated me. Not because I have anything against Islam other than it's just not the way, the truth, and the life through Jesus Christ. It's, I'm not picking on Muslims. I'm just saying what frustrated me is that I'm part of that problem. It's my lack of faith in crisis that's part of that problem. It's my lack of understanding of who God is and how he's with us that's part of that problem. And when I encourage you to initiate and take initiative and to lead out, I'm telling you that this new normal will not end any time soon. And so you and I can be frustrated, but we need to move on. We need to take initiative. Because the only way revival is going to happen at Baylor University this year is through relationships. And so I need you to take initiative. I need you to spend time with people that look different than you. I need you to have conversations about who God is with other people that you might not know. I need you to be the missionaries that God has called you to be on this campus. And so if you're tuning in, you are called to something far greater. In these next few weeks, we're going to talk about that in the new normal of who's the minister, and it's not going to be me. And so I need you to join me. I need you to take initiative, and we're going to learn how to do that together. We're going to navigate the new normal together. But the reason why we take initiative is because that's exactly what Christ did for us. While we were yet sinners, he gave up his life. And so we return the favor by dying to ourselves each and every day and we take initiative we advocate we build relationships and we have conversations about who God is and we are faithful because Christ has been faithful we're reminded of his faithfulness each and every day as we abide and we live in light of that faithfulness so I'm going to pray that we would be a people who reach the campus, and reach the world because of our, our humility, our faith, and our right understanding of who God is. So let me pray that we would be that people. God, I, I just thank you that we're back. I thank you that, that in spite of all that's going on that we could complain about, that you're worthy to be praised. 
that your character, it, it doesn't always make sense to us. We're like, wait a second, I thought we were separated because of our sin. But you're saying that if I'm in Christ, then God comes closer to me because of my sin? That he advocates on my behalf because of my sin? Like, that doesn't even make sense. God, you are so much bigger than we can imagine. And thank you that you're bigger than we can imagine. That when you speak, things are created. Thank you that, that you had this plan long before to, to save and restore your people to yourself. Lord, help us to have faith in you. Not just in your power, not just in, in your character, but in you in full. Lord, and help us to have faith without presumption, faith without arrogance. Help us to have faith with humility, faith with deep trust in you. Help us to be anchored and abide in you each and every day. Help us to rightly know that you are with us through the fire, that you are with us through every trial, that you're with us through storms, that you are God who is with us, Emmanuel. We give you thanks. We give you praise. In your initiative and in initiating to us, would we then therefore go and initiate with others? Lord, I pray that these coming weeks we would learn how to do that. Lord, I pray that you would bring revival through relationships at Baylor, in Waco, and around the world. Lord, I pray that you would use this in your name. Amen.